Good afternoon, everybody. Happy Easter to you all. Thank you very much. What a great thing that Christ has risen from the grave for us. We're here to celebrate that today. I'm really glad you're here to be with us. We've never tried one of these afternoon Easter gatherings before, so thanks for coming out and joining us for this. Uh, Been an interesting week for me. Uh, Last week, my daughters were here with us, and one of my sons-in-law, my oldest daughter, is pregnant. And uh, last weekend, she was about 35 weeks along, and she came up to have a baby shower. My wife was throwing a baby shower for her, and I got to go to it, which was, I'd never been to a baby shower before. (laughs) Interesting culture. (laughs) Uh, So, no, I was delighted to be able to get invited and be able to go and to have my daughter here. She's about five foot one this way, and about that time, she's just about that far this way. Just like, whoa, that's interesting (laughs) to be able to share that with her. And so she she was here and it was interesting during the shower, you know, uh, she had a contraction like a Braxton Hicks fake one, those fake things. Uh, They don't like, they don't do anything except annoy you or something. That's how it goes. And uh, so anyway, she had one, I could see her whole stomach going, right? So she was getting a little bit nervous about how that was working. And so she was going to go home the next day and she was going to have, uh, they were going to do a stress test on the baby just to make sure everything was going fine. And Sunday came after church. She was like, okay, I, I, I need to go home. She'd come up by herself because her husband was working for the weekend. And so she goes, I need to go home. But she got all emotional about it. And I probably something about the hormones working or not working or doing what they do. I don't know. I don't understand any of that. And uh, so she got pretty emotional about going back to Santa Cruz where they live by herself. So we said, hey, we'll, we'll go with you. We'll, you, you know, we'll take one of our cars and we'll take your car and we'll just go down, drop you off and come back. And she's like, great. So we got in the car, we drive down there. We get to about Pleasanton. And she's like, you know, I, I can make it the last hour. So, you know, are you sure? Yeah, yeah. So, so she takes off by herself to go to Santa Cruz. We turn around, come back home. And we got home, and we called her up, and everything's fine, and the Braxton Hicks things are kind of subsiding and calming, and everything's good. So we went to bed that night, and when I got up the next morning, took a shower, then I went over and checked my phone, which I always do, and I looked at my phone, and I had two text messages that came in during the night. I got this, like, silent thing on, so it doesn't, you know, nobody disturbs me at night, and so <laughs> 609, I get the first text that comes in from my son-in-law, Nick, he sent it at 3.18 that morning, and it said, baby is coming soon, like in a few hours. I'm like, I got this message in a few hours. I, what, you know, what? And then I read, there's another message from him right after that, and soon enough so that there was no different time stamp on it. It was the same time stamp, and uh, it said, C-section now at Dominican Hospital. I know, and so I, now I get, I'm texting him a message at 6.09 that morning when I got this one, I'm, and I text him, I, I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm not making this up. This is how it happens. I, I don't make this stuff up. So, so anyway, I, so then I called him, like, okay, the text message, that's not working. I called him up. I'm like, Nick, answer the phone. This is your father-in-law. Answer the phone. And I got nothing. I left him a message, and I waited and waited, and all this waiting creates stress and anxiety and worry and you don't know how your daughter's doing and you don't know how the baby's doing and time goes by 40 minutes go by finally after 40 minutes my son-in-law calls me on the phone he goes oh 
every, everything's fine. Breck's doing fine. My daughter, she's doing fine. And, and, and you have a grandbaby. <laughs> and some of you have been telling me for the last six or eight months, you're like, you're like, oh, when you get to be a grandfather, it's going to be the best thing ever. And you're good. I can't explain it to you. It's just going to be the best thing that's ever happened to you. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about because it hasn't happened to me yet. And now I know. It's like indescribable. It's the, it's the coolest thing ever. It's just, it's just this amazing thing. And so he was born five weeks early, but he weighed six pounds, two ounces. Yeah, I know. And uh, his name is Remington. And we got to go, we, got, we hopped in the car that morning and go down to Santa Cruz and, uh, and got to see him. So w- would you like to see him? Do, do we have pictures? Oh. Oh, look at it. We have pictures. <laughs> yeah, don't say he looks like me. That's a sad thing. <laughs> I love the poses. The first one on the, on the um, let's see, on the left, the first one is, uh, hi, Lakeside. I think that's what that's about. The next one, he's worried about the Sacramento Kings. And the third one, he's thinking about presidential politics. <laughs> you want to see more? Okay, you asked. There you go. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's Grammy on the left, and that's Big Poppy on the right. <laughs> he has my haircut. <laughs> so I'm going to get him a fedora because he's going to need that as we go along. <laughs> Want to see more? No, 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 no. Don't ask. Don't ask because I'll have to pull out my phone and show you if we ask for any more. <laughs> and if, you're, if you've been with us for a while and you've been walking this, you know, anticipatory journey with me, you knew this was coming as soon as the baby came. You knew I was going to show you pictures. And if you're a guest with us today or something and you go, wow, this is weird, man. We came to church and, and I, all, I thought it was going to be all about Jesus. And it's about this dude's grandson. <laughs> Except this. Unexplainably to me, this child has changed my life. I'm rearranging my schedule for him. He lives in Santa Cruz, which is a three-hour trip. My daughter has lived there for the last two or three years. I found it hard to get down to Santa Cruz, you know, to see her and her husband. It's easy to get down there to see Remington. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like changing my schedule for this little baby. He's just a little tiny baby. Man, I'm changing my life. He's, I'm changing my life around him. He's changing my life. He changes the way I feel. I've never felt this way. And I know that's all gushy to those of you who don't have grandchildren, but all of you who have grandchildren, you know. We're in the club. When I got the news that he was born and everything was okay, everyone's okay, he's still in the NICU, by the way, if you pray for him, he's still got some little issues that they're dealing with, but um, he's okay. When I got that news, that's just about the best news ever. And if you ever get the best news ever, it has to change your life. If you ever get... The best news ever, and it does not change your life, 
it's either not the best news, it's either not the best, or it's not news. If it's the best news ever, it has to change your life. So I suspect in your life, you've had moments of good news. So, right, like, like good, good news moments. Anybody ever, let's do a little interactive. Anybody ever have good news happen to you or come to you in your life? About 60%. You who have had good news moments, would you pray for the others because they need some grace? So those of you who have had good news moments in your life, I don't know what those were, but I can imagine what some of them might have been. So some of you, let's, let's just imagine what some of those good news moments might be. So maybe you ladies, maybe there was a dude in high school that you just like, you had the biggest crush on this dude, and then he invited you to the prom. That didn't happen. Okay, well, it's all right. You wouldn't have liked him forever anyway, probably. So um, let's, see. let's see. Oh, this is the season uh, it, where high school seniors are starting to get acceptance letters to colleges. So I'm talking to all these kids from our high school group, and they're like, oh, I got accepted at Berkeley. I'm like, that's awesome. Way to go. Or I got accepted at Stanford. I'm like, good for you. That's beautiful. You know, I, I got into Chico State. Right on. See, that's, how, that's just how that rolls. Who knew? Best news ever when you get one of those letters, like someone accepted me. I'm going to college. Some of you have stood in an altar, or maybe before the altar, you, you, you looked into some other human being's eyes and you said, I'd like to spend the rest of my life with you. Would you marry me? And they said, Yes. Best news ever. Or maybe for some of you, the best news ever was the day that your first child was born. Or maybe for some of you, it was when your second child was born. <laughs> I don't know. These are your moments. These aren't mine. I'm making yours up. So I don't know. Maybe it was when your first grandchild was born. I don't know. But they're good news moments in your life. And if you ever hear the best news ever, it has to change your life. It cannot help it. And you cannot help it. If it's the best news ever, it will change your life. Now, you got a list of best news moments or good news moments. Where does resurrection fit in that list? I mean, if you were to know a person who died and came back to life, and I don't, I don't mean resuscitated. I don't mean they died on the operating table and they coded and they brought them back to life or, you know, they, or they started the heart again. I don't mean that. I mean died and was buried and then came back to life. Would that change your life? It would absolutely change your life. That would be like the best news you have ever heard in your life, and it would change your life. It would have to. Now, what if that resurrection happened not to someone that you knew directly but someone who lived 2,000 years ago? If it actually happened, that person died and was buried and came back to life, never to die again, that would be the best news ever. And it would have to change your life if it was real. And the only way it couldn't change your life is if, if, it's, not, if it's not real or if it's not news. Otherwise, it changes your life. That's the story of Jesus. That's why we get together week by week. That's why we get together on Easter weekend to celebrate that man named Jesus. We're going to start today a series in what is known as the Book of Romans. It's, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago. 
And it was written to people who were Christ followers, people that believed in Jesus and they followed after him and they wanted their lives to be shaped by his life and by his story. And so the Apostle Paul writes this letter and some of you may go, it's an old letter. Why would we we spend time talking about a 2,000-year-old letter? Well, because that letter and the words in that letter have been changing people's lives for the last 2,000 years and they're changing people's lives in our generation. They're changing us today. And so for the next several months now, we're going to go through this letter, and we're going to talk about all the things that Paul talks about to us to say, this is the Jesus you believe in. This is how he wants to change your life. And I want you to be a part of that. If you have your Bibles today, why don't you open up to Romans chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some on the chairs near you. You can use one of those. You can open up your smartphone. No one will think you're texting or anything, unless you are. But you can open up your smartphone and, and, and uh, tap into the version Bible app. The icon will say Holy Bible if you want to download it. And uh, tap into that. And then where it says events, you can click on that and some notes will pop up. And it will actually have the verses that we're going to read through the scripture today right there in that, in that app. So that might help you. Or you can just listen. Romans chapter 1, first few verses. Uh, Paul introduces himself. Then he introduces his subject. He says this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him, we've received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just stop there and look at some highlights of what Paul says to us as he introduces uh, the story of Jesus. He introduces it by saying, I want to write to you a letter about a thing called gospel. And gospel is one of those religious words that after a while it's been invested by so much meaning by so many different people that after a while it means really nothing. Nobody really knows what it means. So we, in our culture, people are familiar with the word gospel, but they don't know exactly what it means because most people out in the world around us, if they ever use the word gospel, they mean truth. Like, oh, I swear, that's the gospel truth. Or I I swear, that's the gospel. And in their mind, that means truth. And that's all good. It's, It's nice to tell the gospel truth. It's just that that's not what gospel means. When Paul writes to us about the gospel, you need to know that the gospel, the word gospel, means good news. He says, I'm I'm writing to you about good news. In fact, I'm writing to you about the best news ever. And if it's the best news ever, it has to change your life. It can't help it. It's good news. Now, when he writes that, he's writing the good news to us, to people like us who live in a bad news world. The people in Jesus' generation, the people in Paul's generation, they lived in a bad news world. Do you know anybody who lives in a bad news world? Poke the person next to you and tell them, you live in a bad news world. 
Go ahead, I'll wait. You're like, you don't want to be the bringer of bad news. You want me to do it, don't you? All right, I'll do it. You live in a bad news world. Shock, shocker, right? But internationally, how are things doing? Not good news today. Nationally, how's it going? Not good. I don't know what's going on locally that might be good or bad. How's it going in your own heart? You know, it's good today because you're all dressed up in your Easter stuff and you look good. You know, you look good on the outside, and I don't, but I don't know what's going on, on the inside. See, when he writes about the gospel, when he writes about good news to us, he writes it against a backdrop of bad news in our lives. So he's aware of the stuff that goes on in our lives, like loss. One of the challenges of being a human being is that being human comes with loss. We lose loved ones. For every grandbaby that's born into the world today, possibly a grandparent or a great-grandparent will die. And one family will be celebrating brand new life, and another family will be grieving a loss of someone who lived a long life. And now they're gone. That's human, that's normal, but it's loss. God gave us an emotion to deal with loss. It's called grief, and grief can be overwhelming. We lose not only people, we lose not only loved ones, but we lose sometimes our dreams. And sometimes the farther you go into life, the more you realize, I'm not going to catch that dream. And sometimes the loss of dreams creates a loss of hope. And all that becomes bad news that's hard to bear, hard to carry. Sometimes it's not loss necessarily, but it's pain. We have this phrase that we use at Lakeside. We've been using it for the last year or so. We say, the pain is in the family. That's not a wish on our part. That's not a prayer on our part. That's just an acknowledgement of truth. The pain is in the family. Sometimes it's in the extended family. Sometimes it's in the more intimate family. Sometimes it's in marriage so weird how marriages end up having pain. Nobody stands at an altar and goes, hey, baby, would you have pain with me for the rest of my life? <laughs> oh, we look into each other's eyes. We go, this is going to be fantastic. This is going to be amazing. This is going to be the best marriage ever. And it may be. And yet even the best marriage ever has had instances of pain. Pain comes into our lives, and it's bad news. Fear comes into our lives. We live in a fearful world. There are organizations whose purpose for existing is to cause fear in your life. And frankly, some of them are getting good at it. And so many of us live in fear of all kinds of things. And Paul writes this letter to the Romans, and he says, hey, I want to write you about good news in the midst of your bad news world. So against a bad news backdrop, Paul says, God tells a story of good news called gospel. And gospel is all about a person named Jesus who rose from the grave. That's what it's about. Gospel is not about 
theology. Gospel's not about doctrine. Gospel's not about religion. Gospel's not even about church. It's about Jesus. Paul says, I want to tell you his story. That's why he wrote this letter. That's why we're going to talk about it. Because he wrote it so we would understand Jesus and who he is. And so he tells us some things about Jesus in here. As you go through this passage, you'll find out that he says, one of the things to know is that Jesus Christ was born a descendant of David. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and if you study the Bible, you're like, oh, I get that. That's King David from Israel. He was like the second king of the nation of Israel, most beloved king in the history of the people of Israel. And Jesus was his son or his descendant. Wow, that's really cool. And some of you, you're like, well, I don't even know who David is. It's like, is that David Hasselhoff or I don't know who that is? No. He's a descendant of David, which means he's a child of a king. Although King David's family had fallen on hard times by the time Jesus was born into it, it had been almost 600 years since someone from David's family had actually sat on the throne of King David in Israel by the time Jesus was born. In fact, Jesus was not born in a palace. He was born in a barn. I always wonder how that went for between Mary and Jesus, too. I always wonder about that thing, you know. You ever wonder if Jesus, you know, didn't leave the house one day and forget to close the door and his mom called after him? Jesus, come back here and close the door. What's the matter with you? Were you born in a barn? <laughs> to which Jesus said, well, actually, yeah. He was born a descendant of David, which could mean he was a child of a king, which could mean all kinds of things and does mean all kinds of things theologically. But I think what Paul's trying to get at is this. Jesus was human. He was born of a human king. He was the son of David, a real king, a living person. He was a descendant of that guy. He was human. And you know what that means? You know why that's good news? I mean, that's part of the gospel story, right? You know why that's good news? Because he gets you. When you have pain in your life, he gets it. When you suffer loss in your life, he gets it. When you have fear in your life, he gets it. He gets you. He gets me. It's one of the reasons I love him. He gets me. The Bible tells a story of uh, an occasion in Jesus' life where he lost a friend named Lazarus. Lazarus died. Jesus was so upset, he got to the tomb, and there were people around who said, Jesus, if you would have got here sooner, you, you could have saved his life. You could have healed him. You could have done that thing you do and healed him, and you didn't get here in time. And Jesus went to the front of Lazarus's tomb, and he cried like a baby. Or like I like to think about it, he cried like a buddy who had lost his friend. Because he gets it. He feels it. Gets you. He was born of a descendant of David. That's good news. But then he goes, and he was appointed as a son of God by power through the resurrection from the dead. Verse 4. He, he was appointed, or actually that, that, that word means to set boundaries around something. It, it means literally to declare something is true. It says Jesus Christ was declared the son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead. You know why the resurrection matters? Because it declares that Jesus is the Son of God. Right? So we, we, we go, Jesus is the Son of God. 
But then I want to ask the question, how do you know? Like, let's say you love Jesus and you're telling your neighbor, you're telling a coworker or somebody, you're telling a friend about Jesus and how much you love him and trust him. And you go, and he's the son of God. And then your friend says, how do you know? I mean, how do you know that somebody's the son of God? Well, Paul says the resurrection declares it. Think back in your brain. When was the last time you saw resurrection? How long has it been for you? You don't remember? You've never seen it. You know why? There's only one person in the history of humanity who has died and rose and risen never to die again. Only one. And you know what his resurrection tells you? Tells you he is the son of God. Doctors can, res- can resuscitate you if you die on the operating table. They can sort of bring you back to life. And you've been out for three minutes or eight minutes or who knows. But they can't raise you up never to die again. That's resurrection. And if that were to happen, that would show that that person who rose is the son of God. And if that was true, that would be the best news ever. And if it were true, it would have to change your life. You know the story of resurrection, right? Remember the story how they nailed Jesus to the cross? And he died there. And he died late on Friday afternoon. In fact, he died so late that the people that were going to bury him were a little bit worried about it because they they needed to get done with all the preparations before the Sabbath. And for the Jews, the way they count time, Sabbath or the day begins at sunset. We, we do it the opposite. Like the day's over, the sun's going down. But they said when the sun went down, the, day, the next day starts. So on Friday, when they took Jesus off the cross, they just had a few minutes probably to be able to get him in the tomb. They found the closest tomb that someone had available. They stuck his body in that tomb. And then they laid low through the whole Sabbath. And then they came back on Sunday morning, early, early Sunday morning before the sun was up. Some women, some disciples of Jesus who were women came back and they were carrying spices with them to be able to give Jesus a decent burial. And while they carried the spices with them, they also carried some other things with them. They carried worry. It's like they carried worry in a basket. You ever carry worry? You ever carry concern? They carried it like they carried it in a basket to the tomb. And one of the things they were worried about was what's going to happen when they get, when they get to the tomb. Because there was, there was this thing that Jesus kept talking about when he was with them. He kept telling them, you know, I'm, I'm going to die on a cross. And on the third day, I'm going to come back to life. And they, and they never understood it. The disciples never understood it. Maybe because Jesus used the word resurrection, but it, it literally means to stand up. So like he was saying, now, I'm going to die, and on the third day I'm going to stand up. And they're like, we don't get that. Just make more bread. We like it when you feed people. But the Jews got it. The Jewish leaders, they got it. They listened when Jesus said it, and they said, hey, he told people he was going to rise again. So they got to the Romans, and they said, hey, he told people he was going to rise again. And his disciples, if he doesn't rise, the disciples are going to come in and steal his body and prop it up and tell everybody, He's alive! No one would believe it. No one would do that. No one would give their life for the idea that this guy who was really dead was actually alive. No one would do that. But 
they listened to what Jesus said, these Jewish leaders and these Roman leaders, and so they put a guard in front of the tomb. And so the women that were coming to the tomb worried about how they would get past the soldiers. And if they ever got past the soldiers, they worried about how they'd ever roll that stone away that was rolled in front of the door to the tomb. It's way too heavy for them. And they worried about it till they got to the tomb. When they got there, they found that the soldiers were all passed out because they saw an angel and it freaked them out so bad they passed out. And so the ladies walked right around their bodies and they walked right up to the stone. And the, oh, and the stone had been rolled away also. Then they walked into the tomb and there were some angels, a couple of angels in the tomb. And they greeted the women, sort of shamed them a little bit, I think, because they said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen, just like he said he would. Should have listened to that part. They didn't quite understand what the angel was saying to them, so the women turned around. They were getting ready to go, and one of the women, Mary Magdalene, when she turned around, she turned right around and ended up face-to-face with the risen Jesus. But she didn't recognize him because she wasn't expecting him there. And she said, sir, if you've taken him, if you've taken the body of my of my friend, if you've taken him, just tell me where you've put him, and I'll, I'll, get, I'll take care of his body for you. And Jesus looked her right in the eye, as a human would, and he said, Mary. And the second she realized it was Jesus, she got the best news ever, and it changed her life. The resurrection didn't make Jesus the Son of God. The resurrection declared it. He was already the Son of God. But the resurrection let you know for sure that's who he is. So when your friend says, how do you know Jesus is the Son of God? You just tell him he's the only one who ever rose from the grave never to die again. He declared it. Some of you are basketball fans, right? Any basketball fans? Kansas. Sad day for you. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. So, n- nobody's hands like really high. Some of you, one, two, oh, half. Okay, that's not really high. That's half. Uh, I know some of you are Kings fans, and it's been a long journey, decade. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I know it's hard to put your hand up when I talk about basketball, but some of you have been sort of captivated by the team down the road a ways. The Warriors, or your team? The Warriors, oh, go Warriors. Yeah. Really, that's really interesting. In Sacramento, uh, the, the, the station that owns the, I don't know how they do all this thing, but the station that plays a Warriors game, it gets blacked out when they play because they don't, the, the Kings don't want you, you know, to lose fans to the Warriors. So they black it out. You can't watch. But whenever they're on TNT or ESPN, I'm like, Donna, can we watch the Warriors tonight? Because they're really fun. They're so fun to watch. And they have this player on the Warriors. Last year, the Warriors won the NBA championship. First time in 40 years they won. And this one player stood out as the best, not just the best on the team, but the best in the league. What's his name? Steph Curry. How'd you know that, <laughs> Kings fans? Yeah, Steph Curry, right? He's so fun to watch. Everybody loves him. You want to get there early to watch the pregame drill, and he, he's so fun to watch. Last year, he was named the MVP, the most valuable player in the league. And during the playoffs, they gave him a trophy that said most valuable player. 
Now, it's interesting because toward the end of the season, there was another player who plays for the Houston Rockets, and he was kind of strutting around campaigning and saying, you know, I really deserve the MVP. I'm, I'm really the best player in the league. His name's James Harden. And when the season was over, turns out he wasn't the MVP. Steph Curry was. Now, when Steph Curry received that trophy during the playoffs, did that make him the MVP? <laughs> it's not a trick question. I'm not trying to reel you in. But the answer is no. He was already the MVP. His season showed that he was the MVP. The trophy just declared it. When Jesus rose from the grave, it didn't make him the Son of God. He was already the Son of God. It just declared it. When you come to church and you celebrate who Jesus is on Easter Sunday morning or afternoon, you don't, you don't celebrate Jesus because, oh, all of a sudden he became the Son of God by his resurrection. No, it just declared it. It declared what was already true. And through his resurrection, Jesus invites you into his life. He says, if you'll trust me, if you'll follow after me, I am going to put a downpour of gifts onto your life. Paul finishes this passage in Romans 1, verse 7, by saying this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying God is going to pour out on your life unbelievable gifts. Two of them are grace and peace. Grace and peace is the overwhelming generosity from God that you and I do not deserve. Generosity from God, freely given. And God gives it to us in a downpour. Peace. It's the wholeness of God given to those who are broken. And he gives it to us in a downpour. Jesus says, if you'll follow after me, I'm going to flood your life with grace. I'm going to flood your life with peace. Not that pain won't come in, but in the midst of it, you will have my peace. You will have my wholeness. He says, if you'll follow me, if you trust me. We have a little way we phrase, frame this here at Lakeside just to help you kind of get a picture of it. We even wrote this on the back of Lakeside Life today so you could carry it with you, but we just made it really simple by saying, here's the ABCs of faith. People have found this really helpful. The A stands for admit. I admit that my sin has kept me separated from God. That's the bad news. I admit it. B stands for believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only Savior that God has sent. And C stands for choose. I choose to follow Jesus by faith. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an invitation for you to choose to follow Jesus by faith. And when you tell him that you do, he begins with you a journey of faith, a journey where he's pouring out grace into your life, where he's pouring out peace into your life, where he actually gives you life. Brand new life, resurrection life. And he gives it to everybody freely 
who believes, who trusts in him. That's the good news of Easter. Jesus, thank you for who you are. We praise you for who you are. We worship you for who you are. And we thank you for what you've done. You gave your life on a cross to take our sins away. And then you came back to life. Best news ever. And my prayer today is that that best news ever would change our lives. Not just those of the lives of people, those lives of people who lived 2,000 years ago, but our lives. Everybody in the room, everybody who listens on the podcast, everybody. That you would put your grace and your peace into our lives. And Lord, I know there's a lot of people in the room who have already decided to trust you, and I celebrate your life with them. And I'm confident that there are some people in the room right now, today, who have just been wondering about you. They've just been wondering, how would I know if Jesus were the Son of God? How would I know what he gives to me? How do I know it's true? Lord, help them to see that your resurrection declares it to be true with power. And when they move toward you, when they seek to put their faith in you as their Savior and their Lord, would you say yes to their prayers? Jesus, thank you for these things. Amen.